Hey everyone, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 88. Today I'm speaking with Daniel Kleinman, founder and CEO at Seaworthy Collective, a Miami-based venture studio that's building companies to regenerate the world's oceans. We discuss how regenerating is different than sustaining, why this work is so important, and what we can do as individuals. Enjoy. I'm here with Daniel Kleinman, who's uh, giving us the hand gestures. What what hand gesture is that, Daniel? Well, that, was, that was a shocker. Though. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> all right, man. So welcome to Daniel Kleinman, the founder of Seaworthy Collective, a innovative uh, venture uh, startup studio uh, that is really helping the future of not only Miami, but the world in terms of the way that they're going about fighting climate change. So I'm really stoked to have him on the podcast today and not only fight climate change, but regenerate the world's oceans. This man is doing it all. I'm really glad that he's here. <laughs> Thanks, well, I, I will say not only have you been the only person to convince me to get on Clubhouse, but on top of that, I think you're the first podcast ho to host to lead with the word regenerate, which makes me very happy. So you, you, you're doing us justice. All right. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad I'm glad I'm, I'm in your good graces already. Um, so Good tell <laughs> tell me a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're doing with Seaworthy Collective. Give us a little bit of your background because yeah, it's a absolutely. fascinating so, background. What was that? It's a fascinating background. You have very Thank cool you. background. Um, so yeah, I actually, so I'm a South Floridian born and raised, grew up in Cooper City. Shout out to the 954. But more importantly, you know, I saw the opportunity growing up down here to, of course, take care of our, our local ocean and and uh, going, you know, snorkeling and diving in the Keys. But uh, really, when I got up to University of Florida for my undergrad in, in uh, mechanical engineering, you know, I saw James Cameron do the dive to the Marianas Trench, which was back in 2012. And at that point, more people had been to the moon than to the deepest part of our ocean. And that just nuts. fascinated me as I was surrounded by fellow engineers who all wanted to work at SpaceX. And I'm like, but there's so much down there that we don't even know. <laughs> and there's probably a better chance of life. Um, and it turns out they actually have found life at the deepest part of the ocean, but that's an aside. Altogether, I really was just inspired to do this path for doing innovation and technology for ocean science and exploration. And so I really followed that path, uh, interning, interning at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, which is a leading oceanographic research institution in Cape Cod. They're the ones who found the Titanic. And then actually my senior that year, old I became thing. a university innovation <laughs> fellow. What was that? I said that old thing. Yeah. That little thing. That, yeah. That, yeah. Um, and then... And, you know, all the James Cameron connections, honestly. <laughs> uh, but then uh, but then actually my senior year, I became a university innovation fellow, which are students in innovation and entrepreneurship from all over the world. We get to spend a week at Stanford and Google and really immerse ourselves in design and systems thinking. And I really carried that approach with me to the field, which is really part of the perspective that helped create Seaworthy. And so I ended up spending time working between Boston as a pilot and test engineer for under, underwater vehicles up at Bluefin Robotics. And then six months after I started working there, I got bought out by a defense contractor. And so as a native South Floridian, I said, you know, I can sell out to defense or I can deal with winter, but I can't deal with both. And so I moved to San Diego and worked for the Navy for the last three years as a contractor up until actually a little over a year ago now. And then uh, basically once I saw for a number of reasons, the path really not leading anywhere to what I was actually doing, hoping to do, which was, you know, doing tech and innovation again for this passion of doing ocean science and exploration, it brought me back to South Florida where I saw the opportunity to get my master's here at University of Miami in ocean exploration science, which I'm just wrapping up. 
And at the same time, you know, to launch Seaworthy, which I actually put the pen to paper on a little over two years ago. So it's, it's really been this journey to finding not only the actual work that I'm passionate about, but more importantly, the community and people that really shared that passion that I could actually identify with. Because I'll just say my time in defense is, it's like the opposite end of the spectrum of motivation where a lot, there's a lot of complacency. And so to be surrounded by passionate people who really want to change the world is, is where it's at. Dude, totally. I mean, who wouldn't want to be surrounded by passionate people who, who love what they're doing and for the good, you know, especially for the good of the planet. Um, that's amazing. I mean, to surround yourself with those people every day, I mean, it's gotta be pretty awesome. Um, so, all right. So tell me a little bit about how you would like explain to me Seaworthy Collective. Like if I was five years old, like how, how, what's, the, what is the idea and how does it work? Oh, wow. Well, uh, I'll just say you can't really explain systemic barriers and <laughs> silos to a five-year-old. So, um, I'll just say this. Uh, there is what people genuinely want to do. And there are a lot of other people with money interests that are preventing that work from happening. And it turns out that work can actually help better the planet and make money. And so basically we're creating the pathway to enable that from the ground up. That, okay. So I get that. Cause I've listened to you talk about that for a while, but tell me how you're doing that. Like what, types of like you you've designed these startups you have these ideas mm-hmm. and now you're building a team uh and you have you just launched the cohort so tell us a little bit about that and like how that works like wh- like what's the are, first are we, thing are we still talking to a five-year-old or can i go to big boy <laughs> you can you can graduate a little bit okay, okay. <laughs> uh, so basically you know, we are a startup community and venture studio for regenerative ocean solutions and so basically I combine those two things because number one, we're actually a hybrid nonprofit and for-profit. Getting back to my career for a second, you know, I saw firsthand with Bluefin getting bought out by a defense contractor and working for the Navy, how siloed the efforts are for ocean innovation. And it's largely a product of the fact that there's so little funding for the ocean sciences that you know, we're seeing just a real monopolization or duopolization uh, of fossil fuel and defense really running ocean innovation. And so I worked in the two arguably biggest quote unquote blue tech hubs and literally ran into the wall of saying, no matter what I do, even if I ended up at UCSD and the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego, I'd still end up doing Navy work because that's how intertwined the field is due to a lack of this public funding. And so basically coming back to South Florida, the real reason I came back was because this is the one corner of the country that these entrenched private interests don't have a footing defense and fossil fuels don't exist in South Florida for the most part. And so it's really the opportunity for us to build what we call a regenerative blue economy. And we say regenerative that goes beyond sustainability to actually solve problems rather than just mitigate them. I have a whole spiel on that I can do, but I'll save, save, save yours. Bottom line, you know, really the way that we saw that was through Venture Studio, which if you're not familiar with that, basically Venture Studio is, before you even get to incubation, it's actually inception of startups. We're co-creating startups, literally helping to build the team, supply the ideas, and really, you know, just start getting the solutions out there that are actually solving these problems. When we think about incubators and accelerators, they're all really relying on hope as a strategy that the solutions we need solve climate change, sea level rise, overfishing, plastic pollution, and more are just going to come to them, right? And they help them grow and they get credit and everybody's happy. But the reality is we need to be intentional about making sure these solutions are actually getting made and also including people into the field. And so that was really the key piece that I saw is that from my own experience, I couldn't, even with experience 
operating multi-million dollar underwater robots, get into doing the work that I was passionate about. Just imagine people who didn't have that experience having those barriers. And so I looked at Venture Studio as this model that really democratized the opportunity for people to get into the space and at the same time created a more interdisciplinary, inclusive and accessible field. And so that's really where everything started. And in addition to that, really focusing on community building as the, the foundational piece of that. And so that's where we started in, in the fall when we launched with just creating access to experts that were in our network and continuing to grow that network to now over 100 mentors and collaborators in our network and now some investing partners as well. And really what we've done is build up this resource hub of people who genuinely want to see real, what we like to call sea change, you know, getting the positive change for our oceans and real industry shift toward regenerative practices. And beyond that, you know, really empowering these startups with these catalytic connections. And one of the things I really leaned into lately is the fact that, you know, when we look at a lot of incubators and accelerators, it's it's a construct, right? Like we, we I mean, yes, there, of course, there's value there, not denying that. But when, you know, I was first approaching the problem and saying, how do we help startups? I viewed it as, oh, I have to have one of these programs. But the reality is when you drill, you know, really get down to basics, they just need these catalytic connections, resources, knowledge, tools, right? That help them get to the next step. And that's like the absolute basic that we're providing. And so we started with our co-created startups and then we realized, well, why are we just keeping these resources to our co-created startups? Let's help some existing startups as well. And so when we put our opportunities for sea change out uh, at the beginning of the year, we have six verticals that we're focused on that individually have great potential for impact, but as collective systems really magnify that potential. And so basically we had over 150 people apply, including 20 or so existing startups, narrowed that down to two co-created startups and eight crowdsourced startups that altogether built our first cohort of 10 startups that we launched just, just earlier this month. That is amazing, first of all. <laughs> Cause I've been I've been watching you through this entire process, I feel like most of it, not like all of it, but a lot a good chunk of it for the past seven months or so. Mm -hmm. Um and every time we connect and, and, and you tell me more about what you're doing and like I get an update, it is the most incredible thing because it's it's the most amount of progress I think I've seen anyone make in such a short period of time. It's uh, been a solid 10 months. <laughs> <laughs> congrats. So first of all, congrats to you on all of that. Um, that is incredible. So tell us a little bit about some of the, like if you can, a little bit about the startups you're working with and helping build and like, where are they starting? Like, where's the starting point for this? Because there's so much to do, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the point is, and really, this is really one of the things I love to say is, you know, the, the success, if you will, of what we're doing is the fact that the opportunity exists in the first place. I mean, no matter what, a lot of these companies, and hopefully all of them, are going to be really successful. But the reality is, these opportunities didn't even exist. And so that's, to me, the, the disruptive piece of all of this is just the fact that there's finally an accessible opportunity in the ocean space for people to get started. Um, so basically, for our startups, we have two co-created startups, which we built teams around. Uh, one is called Sea Green Regeneration. It's a surface to seafloor marine vegetation startup. So we're starting with seaweed, which, if you don't know, it stores carbon dioxide 20 times more efficiently than trees, grows a lot faster, and is a lot more scalable. And another one that we're, we're building is another one, is called Clean Coast Innovations, which is going to be an autonomous boat for, uh, for cleaning the water here in Biscayne Bay. And then and we have some interesting monetization strategies behind that. 
Um, and then for our crowdsource startups, what's really cool, so those two co-created startups are, are, are local and not, uh, because our teams, just like Seaworthy's team, uh, we built virtually and remotely. So we have local founders on each of those teams, but not all of the founders are local. And then for the existing startups, we have one local startup on that, but what's really cool and what's representative of Miami Tech is that actually half of our startups are international. So we have three in Latin America, one in the Caribbean, and one in the UK. Um, and they're covering a range of things from applications of AI for aquaculture or natural disaster prediction. They're covering uh, actual aquaculture, uh, seaweed farming again, which one of the cool things about the ocean space is that it's not really, you know, we're not really capitalistic. We, we focus on saying we need to solve the problems and the more seaweed, the better. So that way we're reversing climate change. Uh, we have an, another autonomous boat for cleaning seaweed, which can also be a problem, like we see the seaweed that washes up in mats on our shore. Um, we have a, another, uh, actually a really cool virtual twin platform for the ocean as well. Um, and then another one that's doing upwelling pumps that can actually help potentially weaken hurricanes or at the very least uh, against sequester carbon dioxide by blooming phytoplankton. So. All that being said, you know, these are coming from all over the world, but more importantly, what's really interesting about all these startups is there's real synergies to be explored between these startups that can help each other not only create customers for each other, but more importantly, really create opportunities to magnify their impact. And that gets back to the whole regenerative systems building thesis of what we're working on. I love that. Tell me, tell me, so, so these startups that are building, well, how fast a can they get something to market that we can that we can see and then how fast will the results start happening do you think or based on what you've seen i mean a lot of what especially for our co-created startups a lot of the opportunities we've set up are basically quick wins you know we have a platform that we're looking to integrate uh the cleaning system that already exists uh, onto that could basically be a justifiable prototype for follow-on work. And then at the same time, the uh, seaweed startup, we already have someone in our network who has the permit for growing seaweed in South Florida. So those are literally, let's build the team, let's get the plan in place, and we can implement. implement. The only problem is, of course, you know, uh, permitting, well, permitting on the seaweed side is already done, but uh, at the same time, it's, you know, we're looking, for example, at the bay, and the fact that there's supposed to be $20 million to fix the bay, and you know nothing moves at the speed of startups, but um, you know that catalytic funding to fix the bay, we're literally helping to start pushing some urgency because literally there's solutions now sitting in front of them, and balls in their court. Um, as far as our existing startups go, they're uh, at a lot of different stages. You know, some are already operational and looking to expand and scale. Some are just getting to their first prototype. Some have their prototype figured out and are just looking for the, cap the catalytic capital to start deploying them. So it, it's really a range of, of, of uh, timelines on that. But I think the great piece is that no matter what, uh, we're able to help each of them on their journey. Awesome. So mm -hmm. I, want, I, want, I want you to scare us for a second, if, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, what does the world look like? What does Miami look like? I don't know, a decade, two, two decades out, three decades out, if we don't do these things, if, 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 if none of this stuff, you know, if we don't get enough uh, money behind it, if we don't get enough people behind it, what happens? So I always love to preface this because 
this is there's there's this natural approach that people take to the environmental field where we get caught up in the problem and the sheer size of the problem and one of the core parts of seaworthy is you know we're not we're not like unrealistically optimistic we're actually very grounded realist and I'm to a fault honestly but at the same time, it's also seeing it as an opportunity. So the way I want to characterize it before we move forward is just that basically, you know, there are these stark problems, but we also already have solutions. And that's one of the key things that I'm not just saying that to reassure people, but more importantly, make people understand the opportunity and that this is a business opportunity and not a doomsday scenario. I, I always love that about you. That's why that's why talking to you is so great. And, and it's and it's not even an optimistic thing. It's really a realistic thing. And it's just calling bullshit on the people who like cry about the toilet paper problem <laughs> from the pandemic and relate that to the environment problem. And I'm just like, this this was literally what happened at TEDx, by the way. But anyway, that's the oh. like, <laughs> I'll have to uh, talk about that yeah, later. Yeah, it was it was frustrating. But bottom line, so let me let me let me paint it. So bottom line, you know, obviously sea levels are rising and we're the lowest lying land around. Um, so it, it's really Anya actually, who's one of the, one of the founders of one of our companies. Um, she said, uh, daily flooding by 2040. And at the same time, you know, I mean, Miami beach is actually the, the lowest lying land of all of South Florida. They're, they're, they're going to be first to go. I think the key thing is people think this stuff is decades out, right? But really it just takes storm surge from one hurricane, right? That's, that's the biggest thing. Like storm surge is essentially, you know, the, the and, and I don't want to be misquoted. So it, bottom line, storm surge is kind of like the prototype of what could happen, right, over time, over, over decades. But, you know, climate change is only accelerating as, as um, you know, our carbon emissions only get higher as we have more people coming into the planet, um, you know, and more of the ice melt that's happening is also releasing methane. Um, we're seeing methane seeps also from the deep ocean. So it, it's, it's an accelerating phenomenon. And we, I mean, the science is very clear that we're going to get harsher storms. We're going to have higher sea levels. And, and actually one of the key things that I'm a big, big pusher on is saying we need to get desalination going, which is one of our areas. We call it a, a seawater as a resource, one of our verticals, because Long before we're underwater, seawater is going to intrude on our aquifer, and we're going to have a major freshwater drinking crisis. Um, so there's a lot of other things other than, oh, our homes are going to be underwater. Like, before we get to that, her major hurricanes are a bigger problem. What Seawater intrusion into drinking water is a big problem. Um, obviously, I mean, it's still too early to speculate about Surfside, but, you know, there's a good chance that the fact that you know, it was probably flooding and seawater was getting into the foundation of that building. There's a good chance that's what really corroded the, found, the rebar and the foundation. But that's speculation. Don't hold me to that. Um, and then last but not least, you know, it's really heat, you know, heat as well. Um, and at the end of the day, the oceans are also the largest heat sink in the world. And so as our oceans continue to die off with, you know, nine, oh, some fish species down 90 to 99 percent, our coral cover locally down 95%, I believe. Um, it's it's we, we're already in an extinction event. It's not like we're going to have one. We've are, we're already in one. And so basically, when people say, "Oh, sustainability," sustain what? Right? Sustain the fact that <laughs> right. we have we're on pace to have right now for by 2050 just as much plastic as fish in the ocean, but between the rate we pollute and the rate we uh, extract. 
um, between the fact that, <laughs> you know, our, our oceans are only getting warmer and more acidic and coral literally are already living at their extreme point uh, on average. Like there, there's, we're already past the tipping point for sustainability, which is why we say take the regenerative approach. Because think about it, right? If we go, if sustainability is the goal, right? And we, we talk about, there's the, I don't, I don't know if you heard of the sustainable development goals, but the SDGs are like the mm -hmm. thing the UN set. And I regularly challenge uh, the SDGs because I don't think they're ambitious enough, frankly, because if we go for sustainability and we undershoot, we're worse than where we are now, right? So if we go for regenerative and we undershoot, then worst case, we sustain where we're at, which is literally what sustainability is going for. And where we're at now isn't worth sustaining, in my opinion. So, so, so tell me, yeah. so, okay. So you live this day in and day out, right? And you talk to a lot of people in this. Tell me there are enough people like you who are, who are working and fighting the good fight here. <laughs> well, yes and no. You know, I think there are good people, but I think the bigger thing is there's not enough people thinking entrepreneurially, which is why I say for our space and what we're doing, it's much more of a social impact problem than an environmental impact problem. The science to fix this shit's already sound. Like mm -hmm. we know, great, we have to cut down carbon emission and we need to find ways to sequester carbon dioxide. But you know, most of the scientists in academia are just like, great, I'm gonna publish more research on this. Who's actually implementing solutions, right? Everyone's afraid to prototype and it's just these bubbles and silos and barriers that are all just perpetuating themselves with no one actually doing the meaningful work. And so basically, we're saying, look, we know there are people out there with this motivation. We know there are all these, you know, stigmas of needing to have a PhD to innovate or marine science degree to be in the space. Um, you know, we know the funding historically hasn't been there, but we know climate funds are are popping up left and right. And the oceans are the biggest potential sequester of carbon dioxide, which means potentially the biggest opportunity for investment to start combating carbon dioxide and combating climate change. And so basically, you know, it's, it's, again, it gets back to the opportunity, right? We need to make people aware of the opportunity and we need to make that an inclusive opportunity in itself. And that's really the work that we're doing where we're bringing people into the field, not just people as in entrepreneurs, people as in investors that have wanted to get into this space and didn't realize they could be in this space, right? We've, we've brought in industry agnostic investors that didn't even realize there was this opportunity, but think it's the coolest shit because we can literally save the planet doing this work. And so that's really what I see is the fact that everyone wants to see it happen. And even, I mean, to get political for a second, you know, if you're on the left, you care about environmental impact. If you're on the right, you care about economic impact. We have both. So everybody's happy. And I can tell, tell you that if you own a yacht, you're going to want a healthy ocean. So <laughs> everybody sure. wants to see this. Um, and it's one of the few, you know, uh, there was actually a quote uh, from Jacques Cousteau. It's, you know, the oceans are the great unifier. And we're all in the same boat, which, <laughs> right? But um, but it's true, you know. It, I've really seen that, especially for South Florida. People here, um, actually, joked when I sat down with the mayor, like, you know, people here pay the sunshine tax. You might as well support like actually solving the problems that are happening rather than just like, you know, throwing your money at a nonprofit that's just raising awareness when we can develop real solutions, right? Which, yeah. you know, no offense to nonprofits, it's good work that they're doing, but like, we need actual solutions because. The awareness is now at this point, like people are aware and well, nothing's getting better, right? So so that's really the point is we provide this this actual conduit for tangible impact and action. And I'm an engineer. Nothing matters unless it's tangible to me. And 
at this point, you know, I actually just spoke to Irela Baguette, the Chief Bay Officer of Miami-Dade uh, this morning, and uh, she's really excited about the solutions that we're bringing to the table and really sees the potential for impact on our bay. Um, you know, it, there is so much, I think, talent locally that we're still, still just getting started to activate as we really cement our place here. Uh, there's stuff I can't talk about, but things are brewing uh, as far as really cementing the, you know, the ambitious real goal is to cement Miami as a blue tech hub. Mm -hmm. And just in launching this cohort, I can say we have, but for what we have brewing uh, in the near future, I think it will, uh, it's going to take more than just us. And I see opportunities, opportunities for it to be well more than just us. Do you, do you think like, do you think it's going to take you guys to start making money before more people sign on to, to like this idea? Or do, you, or do you think like, or do you think you're already there on that front? I mean, I will say uh, this is a, a fun, fun, fun little perspective I've gained over the last couple months as we've made our first funding push. You know, I've been focused on the nonprofit side, trying to get, um, you know, the support of building an ecosystem, right? And I won't name names, um, but this is within the ocean space, you know. There was one funder in particular I was really excited about, and basically, you know, they literally said to me, you know, we fund the things no one else funds, and we're filling a gap in the ecosystem that no one else is doing. We're the only ones focused on early stage in the entire global ocean innovation space. And basically, you know, between those two things, I'm like, great, so we're gonna get support from you guys. And they, oh no, no, we just fund the solutions though. You know, like every, it's it's like chicken or egg. You know, everyone's just focused on well, the the solutions, the chickens, right? Like they're just focused on that. And yet us who are actually helping to, if anything, magnetize, or magnetize uh, put a greater magnitude of impact by facilitating these solutions and literally co-creating them, right? It, it, it's maddening. And so that's been, that's been one of the pieces. But on the other side, I mean, there's absolutely investment coming into the space. For every, for every frustration I get with a nonprofit funder, I still get, you know, just as much validation from an investor with, you know, like a nine-figure fund that's looking to get into the space. It's, it's incredible. And so I know there's money coming into the space. It's definitely not necessarily coming from the sources we'd historically expect, but I think that's what it's going to take to actually solve these problems is we need to bring in outside, you know, typically outsiders, right, into the space and make it sexy and make people realize, like, this is where we're going to save the planet because people actually, I love to say, are terrestrially biased, right, and forget that the oceans make up the majority of the planet and when we talk about global warming, we need the majority of the globe to be able to fix it. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> True. All right. So, all right. So earlier you mentioned something that, that you mentioned it a lot when we talk. And it's the fact that you don't need to be a marine biologist or have a PhD to work in, 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 in this field or in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, talk, can you tell a little bit, like for anyone who's listening, who's like, well, what can what can what do I need to have in order to be able to do to work on this if I'm passionate about it? Well, you, you just hit the number one, which is a passion, right? Like that's that is that is the key thing. Um, you know, to me, authentic leadership is is everything, and people who actually have that passion are the ones who are going to drive these solutions forward first and foremost. Secondly, I would say it's resourcefulness. You know, the the whole point of what we're doing is essentially making resources available for people, right? And you know, and saying, you know, for example, in our in, in our seaweed startup, we have someone with a biomedical engineering background, right? But and, and she at the same time already has past startup experience. So she knows what it takes to at least execute a concept, right? And 
that's really it. It's, it's understanding that translatable skills still apply to the ocean space. Yes, of course we need someone with the technical expertise, but you don't have to be the technical expert, right? The technical right. experts can do the technical expert work, but they might they may not be CEO material. <laughs> There's a lot of PhDs <laughs> I know that I would definitely not want to pitch to me, or I've been pitched by PhDs, <laughs> and much love to the one who may be may know who I'm talking about him. But uh, you know, chemistry goes way over my head. Um, so it's uh, <laughs> you know it's really uh, it's really demystifying this because people just immediately assume silence, and it's. It's such a injustice when people have passions and then are immediately rule it out for really a BS reason, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been at conferences where leading aquaculture companies are saying, we need engineers. They're not saying we need ocean engineers. They're saying we need engineers, right? Like crazy yeah, that it's yep. so simple, yet people, again, overcomplicate it and have some you know, grandiose expectation that just because it isn't exactly what they went to school for, that they can't do it. And it's it's just busting down these barriers, which also have been reinforced by academia, you know, so it's not entirely on the individual. I mean, I see so much siloed thinking going on, um, you know, and Rasmus actually just spoke with the v vice provost of innovation at University of Miami, who literally reinforced my jadedness about the Rosensteel School not having enough innovation and entrepreneurship programming. Um, and talking about hopefully helping them out. But, you know, it, it, it's just been this disconnect of, I mean, in, in the in Rosensteel's case, like we're literally on our own island away from the business school and all of their resources. So, um, but, but that's really a metaphor for how in general the space is. And there are very few people bridging innovation and entrepreneurship and the oceans who are thinking beyond just going into public sector and academia and actually realizing the opportunity to do the meaningful work. And on, on the engineering side, real quick, you know, as a mechanical engineer, all my friends wanted to go work at SpaceX or for defense companies, and no one thinks about working for our own planet's betterment, right? It's 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 all of these different social constructs and all the funding barriers I talked about of defense and fossil fuels owning the space. That's really just combined to actually create this almost cultural void for yeah. seeing opportunity in this space. Uh, you're right, and that's a, I was literally gonna say that, and you just put it perfectly. Um, that is exactly what it is. It's because there aren't enough companies in the space that people can point to and say, I want to do that. You know, it's it's just because it doesn't exist or it hasn't existed to the same degree that these other things do. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's almost like a marketing problem, right? Like you have to like you talked about making it sexy earlier. I mean, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> and, and really, the cool thing is with Miami Tech and all the momentum that we've gotten to be a part of, you know, we're making, we're, we're marketing it, right? Yeah. Like, Blue Tech is a term in Miami Tech because, I mean, not going to, like, overstep, but, like, we, we'll take the majority of the credit on, on making and you it do, And you deserve it. And you deserve it. Yeah. You, you've made a tremendous push on the Blue Tech front. In fact, I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't even be aware of the space probably to the same degree that I am right now. So I, I owe that to you um, and, and and props to you for that because you are making an impact um, already, you know, 10 months in. So, you know, that's amazing. And now what's really cool is we just had um, 
some of our founders on another podcast, and now I'm not the only one saying Miami can do can be a blue tech hub. I don't look so crazy. You've anymore. manifested it. You you've literally manifested it <laughs> into oh, man, existence. Man, manifest, um, you know, share the Kool Aid. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's you know it's truly that when you know when we talk about and I, I'd love to like just reflect on the whole Miami tech movement for a sec because yeah, let's do that. Talk about the identity of Miami and this. I talked about this when I mentioned the cohort, right? Like our cohorts international. You know, three Latin American companies, one Caribbean, Jamaican company, um, one, one even in the UK. You know, I really think that we have the opportunity to like actually prove the identity or aspirations of, of a lot of what Miami Tech wants to be, right? Like we are, we're trying our best to embody that and, and it's happened organically, mind you. Like it's not like I was like, you know, specifically looking for these kinds of companies. Like these were the best of the best. And what do you know? They all happen to be international and really representative of what we thought we could have here. Um, at the same time, you know, when we talk about Miami Tech for or Miami, yeah, Miami Tech and putting the Miami in Miami Tech, you know, we're bringing the community in, creating opportunities to co-create startups with us, and most importantly, creating solutions that actually benefit our community in you know in terms of <laughs> yeah. the horizon climate change. So like, there's. You know, I, I don't know. There's just so much to this where the there's many levels of meaning for this community and what we hope to accomplish for this community. And um, you know, my hope is just that, especially as we've now with this cohort launch, also put the opportunities for sea change back out there, so anyone can apply for our next cohort already. The applications are accepted on a rolling basis. Um, but basically you know, that these opportunities are reaching everyone, right? Like I want, uh, I just connected with Christina Ardenetta at, uh, at WinLab and I'm like, we need more women founders in the marine, marine space. Like, I mean, the fact that we have, I think 25 or 30% women in our cohort is actually a massive improvement over the one woman I had on my team working for the Navy of a team of 25, you know? That is an improvement. <laughs> That's so, really good. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the bar is very low. But like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's truly, I mean, it's been a space that, you know, not only devoid of, of you know, talent and resources and, and attention, but diversity as well, which is part of why it's been so Stagnant. unnoticed. So yeah. So, all right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, let's talk a little bit more about Miami for a second. And, you know, when you, when you came back um, after being in San Diego, Working for the Navy, you came back and you, you, you're you at University of Miami uh, doing the ocean exploration program. Obviously, at that point, 10 months ago, um, Miami Tech was, was a thing, but it wasn't as much of a thing as it yeah. is right now, as it is now. Um, how, how has that change impacted how you've built Seaworthy Collective um, to date? That's a great question, Jeff. Uh, have not actually thought. <laughs> um, you know, I'll say this: the the reason why I came here and launched Seaworthy is still the same, right? I mean, it it started organically with community building, right? And the fact was, the Rosensteel School, uh, for as much as I faulted for not having as much innovation as I'd hoped, you know, is the community of people that are you know looking to do the work for the right reasons, right? And at the same time, that our ecosystem, our blue tech ecosystem, as uh, as almost inexistent as it was, still was not 
corrupted by these private interests. That was the main goal in coming to Miami for me and what the opportunity I saw. I will say, you know, I pressed on with community building starting in September and, and having virtual events and just getting panels together. But when Miami Tech happened, um, I mean, we were we were already kind of, oh, we, we were one of the few that were really, I think, in position to like maximize our, our growth from it with, you know, as a, as a homegrown, right, tech mm-hmm. company, which at that point, you know, people were just starting to move into Miami and we were establishing ourselves. Basically for me, you know, I, I again, we launched in September. I didn't even know what a venture studio was until December of last year, actually. Uh, originally I was thinking Accelerator, then I went to Incubator once the pandemic hit, because I had the idea, you know, in March of 2019. But, um, but really once I hit venture studio, that was what connected all the dots. And so in January to kick off the year, you can find this on our website. I published our roadmap for the year, which we've pretty much been able to stick to, which I'm pretty proud of. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, then started to zero in on Miami as we started to recruit for our first cohort. And so really February, March was when we zeroed in on Miami. And man, I don't even remember what was like the first, I mean, I can tell you the first in-person thing I did was sit down with Suarez for a cafecito. Oh my God. That what was an incredible like thing. my intro, not only to Miami Tech, but welcome back from the pandemic. You know? <laughs> uh, it was like, it was just crazy to be like, this is happening in 3D with this guy over a cafecito. And uh, yeah, oh gosh, it was, it's crazy. But, I remember um, when you did that. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> in the end of April. And yep. But by that point though, I will say, you know, I, I, you know, the opportunity was great, but to give ourselves a little credit, by that point, we had already received over 100 applications for our Venture Studio um, program. So we were well on our way. Um, I just think it was, you know, again, how well suited we were for this community and that, you know, people embraced what we were doing. And oh, it's just very organic. That's, mm-hmm. that's really it. Like people like, you know, I had a call today where they're like, how did you know, how did you reach so many people so fast? And I'm like, People just want to be in this space and we're creating accessible opportunity. And this is when you can, we demonstrated demand for this opportunity, right? It's, it's yeah. not a rocket science thing. There's no special <laughs> thing we did to see other than finally make this field accessible and these resources accessible for people. And, you know, I mean, I, a great example I love to reference is when we had the past president of the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution on one of our panels and literally he left his email in the chat and said, feel free to reach out. And I'm like, when I was in undergrad, I would have killed for that opportunity. Like, <laughs> yeah. I had to scrape and claw my way to get into Woods Hole. And here I could talk to the past president and get a referral. You know, like, I don't know, it's just, like, I, I love to put myself in the shoes of other people in our community and just realize, like, not in, like, an egotistical way, but just in an empathetic way, like, what value we're really creating for people. And especially this last week, kicking off our first cohort and literally sitting down an hour with each of our 10 startups and mapping out their needs and figuring out ways that we can catalyze their growth, you know, every single one of them has really validated that we can provide the value that we hope to aspire to. Um, so to wrap that all, I know I went on tangents, it's what I do, but uh, you know, I to wrap it all up, I'll just say, you know, the Miami Tech movement for us to me was like the, I mean, especially launching a business in the middle of a pandemic the icing on the cake (laughs) what was that the icing on the cake no it was it was more it was like turning uh, i'm gonna okay i'll use a mechanical engineer analogy it was like turning a design into a 3d printed object like making it real 
you know, I don't know why I went mechanical engineer on that. But anyway, bottom I think line, it worked. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No analogy was needed there. But, uh, but you know, it really just helped us. You know, I had the opportunity to pitch at the Winkubator, and that was kind of our, our stake in the ground of, you know, Miami is going to be a blue tech hub. And, and now other people are saying that. And other people that I can't wait to talk about, but I can't yet. Um, but, <laughs> I can't wait either. Yeah, there there is exciting stuff on the horizon. I'll just say. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to report back to everyone once once we find out what that is. Um, yeah. All right, I, I have one. I have one. I have a couple. I have two questions before we get to the lightning round, which I'm super ex- excited about. Um, one, and I know, and I know, I know this question because um, I know I know what your typical response is, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. What can we, as individuals, do if anything? Um, I know you hate this question, but I'm going to ask it just because I know people would like to know if there's anything that they can do. Well, and, and you're, you've heard this before, but, you know, system, not just the person, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a balance uh, where you know, a lot of us shoulder the responsibility for the systemic failure to abandon plastics. But, um, you know, yes, of course, the consumer has some power. I'm not denying that. I've, I've heard... People have talked my ear off about that. But, you know, the one way that we're actually going to see change is when a coffee cup made out of seaweed bioplastic costs the same as as, as a normal plastic cup. And the way that we're going to see that, actually, this this is, an, I'm going to give you a little iteration on this answer, Jeff. Okay. Uh, you know, is the way we're going to see that is not only by supporting these startups, but also by lobbying for, you know, plastic taxes and things. And, and, you know, and, and creating at least, if not, you know, by our own choices, at the very least, as consumers, at, at the very least, like talking to policymakers and saying, you know, we think about it this way as a capitalistic context. We are, you know, for bioplastics specifically, they're competing with a decades to probably century plus old industry in plastic, right? They've had so much time to refine their processes and get them so freaking cheap. Right. And again, we're on pace to have more plastic than fish in the ocean in the next 30 years, if not less. And we have to compete against that to make bioplastics cheaper or the same price for people to actually buy them. Right. But that's, in my mind, the only way that we're actually going to see plastic get truly replaced unless legislation is passed to make it more expensive. Right. So that's on one. Um, I would just say on the other side, specific to Seaworthy, you know, and, and actually. Uh, for our startups now that we have our cohort, you know, your support matters. Uh, this Wednesday, we have our launch party, which I hope you'll be able to make, Jeff, at Cerveceria uh, La Tropicale in Wynwood um, at 6 o'clock. And, you know, it's, I just think when we talk about building community, I mean, we've had no problem with getting people to show up, and we're nearing 100 RSVPs for Wednesday, so that's looking good. But, you know, it, it show up not only just to support, but show up and, and this is getting back to the culture of Seaworthy, just like share resources, offer resources. We're not looking to compete. We're not looking to, you know, this is not a monopoli- monopolistic space. There you go, that's a word. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to collaborate. You know, a great example is we have a seaweed startup in our in our cohort that we're co-creating and there's an existing seaweed startup also in our cohort. And, and you know, anyone would say, why are you creating a startup to compete with one of your other startups? But everyone understands we just need more of these solutions to solve the problem, 
right? It's a big so space. There's no shortage of resources that we know that can help these startups. And so if you're someone who has, when I say resource, I mean any sort of skill that can help a business, right? These are, at the end of the day, these aren't just ocean innovations, these are businesses. And that again is interdisciplinary and people need help. And so that's why we build our mentor and collaborator network. That's why I encourage people to reach out if they want to be a part of it. We're always growing it. The fact that we're already at over a hundred people in 10 months, in, or people and organizations in 10 months, um, you know, really shows just the, the level of, you know, willingness there is to help, right? I mean, to actually tie in the, the Miami tech piece, how can I help is literally, I mean, the, our bread and butter, right? Yeah, for sure. And it actually works perfectly because you got into the next, the last question before the lightning round, which is, I want to ask you, what's your ask for the community? It sounds like you've given some things already, um, but anything else you would like to specifically ask for? <sighs> Man, um, I need. I should have brought a list. Uh, <laughs> you know, I would say the biggest thing, you know, right now we've been. So one of my biggest things was not looking to raise money until I knew we could create value. Obviously, we're there. Um, you know, my biggest thing has been, you know, we've approached a lot of all of the expected philanthropic organizations um, that you'd expect to get funding for economic development and community building, and of course. None of that money comes as quickly as anyone would hope. Um, so my, my, my question, it's a, it's an, I'm going to answer your question with a question because this is what I've been asking every investor that I talk to. Who actually is going to support the ecosystem, right? I get back to that chicken and egg thing, right? Who's actually looking to support the ecosystem and see that we're building something bigger here than just the individual solutions? Mm. Because those are the people that, in my mind, we're going to eventually work to give you know, more exclusive access to investing in our startups. And at the same time, those are the people that are going to have magnitudes greater impact than the people who are small-minded and only thinking about the individual solutions. And small-minded, not in a demeaning way, small-minded in a systems view perspective mm -hmm. in that the amount of impact is, is much smaller if you're only focused on individual solutions. And so that's the uh, both rhetorical and abstract question that I ask because I think the bigger we get people to think and the more we realize that we're building something bigger than just individual solutions, but actually building literally the model for a regenerative blue economy that we can prove here, we can prove in any other coastal area that deals with the same problems we do from the Caribbean to Latin America, right? Our model at Seaworthy is literally built to scale, right? We're building the centralized community network resources and access to capital, but we're decentralizing the venture building, right? Like. We just want to have that hub of resources that people can tap into, but there's no reason why our resources can't help someone in Chile to Morocco versus here, right? right. And so that's really my biggest point is the sooner that people, that we get people who truly want to look to support ecosystem development, the sooner we can really hasten the pace of both regeneration and innovation. Leave it with that. And in the meantime, keep drilling home the, the idea that you're not just building individual, you know, uh, things, you're building businesses that are going to make money. This isn't just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, I think if you keep not, hammering that home. not a charity case. I mean, right. we have a nonprofit because early stage is not a sustainable business as just for profit. Right. Talk to anyone in the early stage space. It is very difficult to just have one. But again, more importantly, it's a social impact problem. And we need to empower people to be entrepreneurs in this space before we can actually solve the problems. Until we have the talent and people driven to do it, these solutions won't get off the ground in the first place. And these incubators and accelerators are just gonna pump out startups for the sake of pumping out startups. 
All right, man. So we've made it through our entire conversation unscathed, I think. Uh, I think so. <laughs> um, it is now time for the lightning round, which I think you're really excited about. I certainly am. Yeah. Uh, so let me know when you're ready and we'll get started. Let's go for it. Bring it. All right, here we go. Ooh. Ooh, if animals could talk, which would be the most annoying? Platypus. <laughs> I knew you were going to go with a sea creature. Um, what word do you always misspell? Ah, oh, man, I don't know that one. Um, I just wanted to say bureaucracy. For the <laughs> I feel like I would misspell that. Um, <laughs> if someone made a movie of your life, would it be a drama, comedy, rom-com? action film or science fiction absolute comedy <laughs> i think a little bit of science a little bit of sci-fi in there oh yeah of course. Yeah, yeah um all right what's your number one thing on your bucket list uh diving with whale sharks that sounds cool those are like those are the really big ones right they're one of the biggest fish in the ocean the other Amazing. the longest bony fish in the ocean is the oarfish, which is the fish in our logo fun fact Oh, I was wondering what that was. I had no idea. Very cool. TIL. Today I learned. Last <laughs> question for you. And I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm going to ask anyway. Jet or yacht? Come on. <laughs> Jet uh, I knew I knew you'd have a good answer for that one. Well, there, there are jet yaks. Those do exist. Oh, I have never heard of that either. Another TIL. <laughs> Well, Daniel, man, I, I enjoyed this conversation with you thoroughly, and it was enlightening, informing, entertaining. Um, you always bring it with a lot of fire. So if anyone uh, who's listening right now wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. I'll, I'll go through both my company and, and my personal. Um, so you can follow Seaworthy yeah, I can say it again. You can follow Seaworthy Collective on Instagram, LinkedIn. Actually, I think we just got on TikTok, actually. Uh, my social media team is killing it. Um, we're Seaworthy Global on Twitter. And then my uh, Twitter and Instagram is uh, Seaworthy Daniel, and uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. And definitely reach out and connect with Daniel. He's uh, super friendly, and he's always looking to meet new people. So I really enjoyed well, having you on, man. With what time? Yeah. <laughs> just putting you out there. Uh, <laughs> All right, Daniel. Well, thanks so much. I got, I got a team behind me that's helping. So That's awesome. Well, I'm really glad to hear it. I hope you have a great rest of your evening. We, As you know, uh, this is the first podcast I've recorded in the evening evening when it's actually been dark out. So I have my cool lights set up. You can see all that stuff. Um, I feel it. I feel the vibe. I mean, with the lightning round sounds and the, <laughs> the, the lighting, I was feeling it. It's pretty cool. All right, Daniel. Well, thanks so much. Have a great rest of your evening, evening man. And um, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Jeff. This is great. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting our podcast at anchor.fm slash best techie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.